Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and this time round, it's going to say Platoon on the front, but actually we're going to talk about both the movie Platoon and, from my perspective, a recently discovered really good documentary around it. And this is going to lead us into a conversation. Yes, the Vietnam War is going to get mentioned. Obviously, that's what the topic of Platoon's all about. And for the record, if you're one of these people who's like, oh, I don't really want to go down that way, that's quite dark. It's going to be the backdrop of this, because really what we're going to do is talk a lot about how important this film was in terms of starting up a conversation about Vietnam, how it changed American culture, how important it is to film history in a number of different ways, and also how it's got strange echoes with other films that might be obvious and some that might be less so. So this is a really interesting one. I really hope you come with me on this journey. And for the record, this is the fourth time I have recorded this intro because of technical issues. So if you've heard this one, I won. Okay, I finally managed to win. Yeah! Anyway, where to start with this? You all, I'm sure, have at least heard of the movie Platoon. However, I wasn't aware that there was a really good documentary movie that came out in 2018, to give you an idea, Platoon came out in 1986, and it's called Brothers in Arms, The Making of Platoon. And what I've discovered is really good films, really important films, sometimes get a really great documentary out of it as well. Using a slightly more bizarre option, there can be no doubt that 1977 Star Wars was an incredibly important movie, and there is an amazing documentary series on Disney+. Plus called Light and Magic, and it's about the foundation of ILM, Industrial Light and Magic. Now, I knew that George Lucas was heavily involved with Light and Magic, or ILM, I should say. I figured he was on the board or something, and I knew that they absolutely did the work on Star Wars, and they were needed because nobody else could do these kinds of special effects. What I didn't realize until I watched the documentary, it's like, oh my goodness, not only was George Lucas creating an entirely new kind of special effects heavy movie, but also he was setting up a special effects company at the same time. That's astonishing. And that's basically what that documentary series is about. It then goes on to show you some of their other stuff they've done, all of their cool stuff. 
you know, things like Jurassic Park, for example, and you realize whether you like it or not, George Lucas is very much at the foundations of the modern cinematic world, like I say, for better or for worse. Then perhaps the more obvious comparison is you get Apocalypse Now, another film about Vietnam. And there is an amazing documentary about that called Heart of Darkness, A Filmmaker's Apocalypse. Now, Francis Ford Coppola directed Apocalypse Now, and his wife is a respected documentary maker, and she just quietly made a documentary about her husband's extreme traumas of trying to get this nightmare together. The shooting just went on and on. Variety famously ran an article called Apocalypse When? And these two things go together, like the light and magic one, and indeed like Brothers in Arms, the making of Platoon. If you watch the documentary either before or after the movie, preferably if you've never seen the film after, so it doesn't give too much away, then you just love that film even more. Now, for the record, it's quite clever with Apocalypse Now, because Apocalypse Now, the movie, is based on the Joseph Conrad book, Heart of Darkness, which is the story of basically a man traveling on a boat down the Congo in Belgian Congo, basically showing you what King Leopold's area was like and the horrific traumas happening to the local populations. Fast forwarding some 80 years, you then get it repurposed and put into the Vietnam War as you basically have Captain Willard heading down the Mekong Delta. Vietnam has lots of river systems and inlets and basically going down and just seeing the insanity grow and grow the further he goes down. So it completely changed the name, completely changed the area, but kept the same tone and you get an absolute cinematic masterpiece and you get one of the great documentaries about making films. There we go. That's what's happening with Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse Now. And that's the same kind of idea with Brothers in Arms. Now, they did not have a documentary crew on standby to film everybody, but what they did have is lots and lots of behind-the-scenes footage and photos. And what it is, is it's interviews with all the cast and crew. And what's just amazing about it is there are only two notable people who aren't there. Forrest Whitaker and Oliver Stone himself. But, I mean, you literally get people like Willem Dafoe, you get Johnny Depp, and you get Charlie Sheen, as well as all the other platoon members still alive today. And it's just, it's just lovely. You even get Dale Dye, who, more on him later on, and, and again, this is why this movie is so important in terms of how you make modern-day war films, but just the love between these guys, even though we're talking about nearly 40 years later, they still clearly love each other very much. And indeed, there's a bit in the documentary which says, you know, we've all got lies. Something like Johnny Depp has gone on to absolutely massive stuff since then. It's fair to say that Charlie Sheen's had quite a 21st century, but there is no craziness in this whatsoever. He just gets it right. And if you like, that's the strange thing about Charlie Sheen. He is a complete mess in his private life, and it's led to all kinds of terrible choices in his career. But when it came to things like Three and a Half Men, when he was just a, a maniac off screen, but he was always there on time, and he always hit the lines, and he was a complete professional for, if you like, the three hours they're filming it, and the rest of the time he was 
utter chaos, if you like. I believe he's winning, etc. So, yeah, the fact that you get none of that, if you know nothing about Charlie Sheen, you just see, oh, here he is directing it, and here he is talking to the other guys. It just shows the respect they have for this movie and the love they have for each other. And if you have even a passing interest in these sorts of movies or these sorts of people, then absolutely you need to sit down and watch this. Now, full disclosure, I've mentioned this before, I'm a business trainer. That's how I pay the bills regularly because, let's face it, I'm not being able to pay a mortgage on the ad revenues coming from a podcast. Hey, if another 50,000 people want to start listening to this stuff, great, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Click subscribe, give us a review. It helps the algorithm find us better. Much appreciated. Retweet my stuff on Twitter when I put it out. We do two episodes a week and I tell everybody what the topics are this week and you can always retweet it and again it just helps spread the love and as i always say actually tell another human being if you're enjoying this tell a friend tell your partner tell that guy in the office who's kind of history mad it's like i think i've got something for you i would very much appreciate it thank you very much anyway i digress the point is i'm a business trainer and so that means training people on things like sales or leadership and management or negotiation or face-to-face -face or account management. You get the idea. And therefore, I travel to lots of different places. Quite often it's hotels, sometimes it's client offices. Most of the time, I end up driving to somewhere pretty average like Nottingham or Telford or whatever. Just your average kind of industrial parks and places like that. Sometimes it's driving, sometimes it's on the train. And sometimes I get to go internationally as well, in which case I will always load up my iPad with a whole bunch of movies and TV shows. And it's just sort of like, well, I've got nothing better to do, so I might as well just sit here and chill out a little bit. Of course, I'll do a little bit of work as well. But if I've got a five hour train ride to Dumfries where I have to do a connection at Carlisle, I'm going to need some entertainment on that journey. OK, true story from earlier this year. Regardless, the point is, I just loaded up a whole bunch of different things. This just flashed up as a recommendation, and I just went, never even knew this was a thing. And I sat there absolutely captivated, and I kind of wanted it to share it with the rest of my family, but there's a problem with that in the sense that one of them hasn't seen Platoon, one of them's only seen Platoon once and is basically very busy being a teenager, and my wife has definitely seen Platoon, but has no interest in hearing a bunch of guys retelling their stories. So I was sitting there frustrated I couldn't share it with anybody. And that's why you're getting it. Okay, you, right now. Yes, I'm talking to you. I'm in your ears right now. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm hoping to, to sell you that you can watch this, which if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free. Okay, so getting into the sort of the nuts and bolts of this, let's talk about the movie first before we start talking about the documentary. So, Platoon is directed by Oliver Stone, and Oliver Stone's a really interesting character who's only got more interesting over the years. I know right nowadays people have some pretty strong opinions of him, and it's, it's interesting how people are sort of like, I'm of that political viewpoint, I love this person, oh, they keep saying stuff that I love and I agree with. It's like, what do you mean they said something different to what I agree with? Quick, get them. Now, it's fair to say that Oliver Stone said some goofier things than others, but if you respected him 20 years ago, at least listen to him now. He might have a counterintuitive point, but we'll see. So the point is, Oliver Stone, he, by the time Platoon is being made in 1986, he's already won an Oscar. He's won an Oscar for the screenplay of Midnight Express. 
And he obviously had, if, if you don't know, he had served in Vietnam as a young man. He had got a purple heart with clusters, which basically means he's got two purple hearts, which means he's been wounded in action twice. This was a man who took his time in Vietnam seriously. He wasn't sort of just hiding in the base and he wasn't not putting himself in harm's way. And so, yeah, he served his country with valor, as the Americans would put it. So that's the situation. After Midnight Express, he's got quite the drug problem, but also he starts doing directing as well, which is not natural movement from screenwriting. And it's safe to say that things weren't always great with Oliver, as he also directed The Hand, which is a horror movie about basically a man, Michael Caine in this case, who has his hand removed and has it replaced with the hand of a serial killer. And the hand tries to kill him. And if that sounds very bad, it is. Strangely, Michael Caine and Oliver Stone are going to appear again. Oliver Stone more obviously, Michael Caine slightly unusually, but we will get back to good old Mikey. So Oliver Stone's trying to get back into the groove. Uh, obviously, The Hand neither was a box office smash nor was going to be wearing the Oscars. And so he makes an incredibly powerful, I mean, such a bleak but honest movie called Salvador, about the civil war in El Salvador, starring James Woods. And oh my God, that's a tough watch. Oh, it's so hard. But it's also so brutal and honest and it's just basically, once you know he had filmed Salvador and then Platoon virtually back to back, you can see he's learned everything from Platoon with Salvador. It's, it's the testing ground, and he gets it right, by the way. Salvador is an amazing piece of film craft. It's just, if you think Platoon is downbeat and intense, Salvador is even more bleak, basically. Oh, the thing is, he then wants to start making Platoon, and, and the idea of Platoon, a Vietnam story, as I believe it was originally called, this script had been kicking around for a while, but we're talking about the early 80s, just 10 years after Vietnam, and it's not a popular subject. America lost, America was the bad guy, and there was a lot of tension with the Vietnam vets. The standard story was... Vietnam veterans would come back and they would be spat at by people. There'd be people would shout at them, baby killer, if they saw people in uniform and things like that. Because Vietnam was the first war which had been televised, not live, but it was on the news every night. You could see what was going on and there were news reporters out there telling you about things. And you've got the, the military saying one thing and then you get the Tet Offensive proving another. And it's just, it was just a nightmare. It was a problem for PR, for reputation, and obviously for the endless amounts of blood and horror being portrayed or happening in Vietnam. So it wasn't something that people were necessarily particularly proud of. There'd been a few low-budget films, but not really set in Vietnam, but more about like men coming back. You get something like Taxi Driver, which is a borderline horror movie where you get Travis Bickle, who's a Vietnam vet, although I have read recently a theory 
interesting theory that Travis Bickle is such a fantasist he's never even been to Vietnam. That if you like, he's just saying that to try and justify his bloodlust. The idea had been growing in my brain for some time. True force. All the king's men cannot put it back together again. Interesting idea, but I think it's pretty clear it's meant to be a kind of allegory for the coming home of a Vietnam veteran. Ask Martin Scorsese about that, all right? And then, of course, there's Apocalypse Now, but that was such a prohibitively expensive, very near disaster that people really didn't want to do that again. So Oliver Stone, a man who had made an amazing film, a powerhouse film that hadn't come out yet, and also had made garbage like The Hand, but it also won an Oscar for Midnight Express. It's a tough call on what you're going to get from Oliver, but he was given a very small budget to make this story about a platoon in Vietnam. And then what he did is he went to Dale Dye, who was an ex-officer, Marine, who served in multiple times in Vietnam, and the two of them talked about the war movies that they'd seen on TV. They weren't necessarily just set in Vietnam, but, you know, the, the classic World War II picks as well, things like The Longest Day. And there could be no doubt that The Longest Day is a very earnest film, but it's it doesn't feel like any of this is actual real combat, even though a lot of the men in the sort of 1950s and 60s war movies had been actual serving soldiers in World War II. Audie Murphy, for example, and so on and so forth. Lee Marvin had, you know, had a terrible time in the Pacific. But there was just this feeling between these two Vietnam veterans that they had never seen authentic military realities in the cinema. And whereas Apocalypse Now is amazing, it's rather poetic, it's rather dreamlike or nightmarish, shall we say, rather than a more factual, almost pseudo-documentary style of following a platoon around. And so they came up with the idea, the very brave and never-before-tried idea of let's get a bunch of actors, and before we start shooting, we're actually going to put them through several weeks of boot camp. Out in the Philippines, so they're already in a jungle, if you like, we'll give them the right kind of kit so they look the part, and we're going to just drag them through the jungle. We're going to give them basic ideas like how to map read. We're going to show them how to set up a camp, you know, march through a jungle. Somebody's playing points so you actually understand small squad tactics, things like that. And just get them the dirt under their nails. Get them talking to each other like they're soldiers. And this is where that starts. Ever since then, with things like Saving Private Ryan or Black Hawk Down, or Band of Brothers, all of these things do the same thing, where it's like, okay, that created such an air of authenticity, that's how we're going to make war films moving forward. Not always, but the good ones generally do follow that, because there is no substitute for that kind of camaraderie that you grow in that situation. They start doing the... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow! 
Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Casting with all these young guys, and some of them had been up before for this movie but then it faded away and a number of them tell in the documentary the story that their agents basically said don't do this film every single agent at every agency went don't go to this movie this is just a dead end for your career it's you know you'll be better off making a few commercials and things like that and as a number of the guys said it's like i was 22 i was poor i'd literally never been out of the country before and now it's a case of well done you've got a role in a Hollywood movie, and we are sending you to the Philippines. And I've never been out of the country, and even on top of that, I've certainly never been in the army, and now I've got to do a boot camp? What, what's that? How does that work? Etc. So it really did feel like young men being conscripted into the army and being sent halfway around the world, and they're completely in shell shock. And that's basically what happened. And what I find fascinating is these behind-the-scenes photos, particularly during the boot camp, of the guys sort of like perhaps lying around in camp or hacking their way through the jungle, etc. Because they're wearing all the right kit and equipment, obviously they never had live rounds or anything like that. They were, you know, they were still actors acting, if you like. But the point is the photos, they're the right age. They look completely authentic because in essence there's no fakery here that's a scared 22 year old american standing in a river up to their waist surrounded by leafy jungle plants it's like yep that could be on the cambodian border in 1968 or it could be in the philippines in the 1980s there's just no way to tell if you like as soon as you start seeing the photos you start thinking this is gonna work this is going to be amazing and these guys just tell all these stories i don't want to sort of give them all away i really would recommend you you watch the documentary but everybody had their own traumas about it and the thing going back to johnny depp is most people forget he's in it because johnny depp's a big star but johnny depp had kind of been in like three things before this and he he was just basically an unknown at that point 
and he he is an integral character in the village scene which i'll come back to in a moment but also you forget but there is a close-up of him dying just as he's being sort of like taken onto the helicopter and he tells this story about how oliver stone got him to redo it and redo it and redo it basically saying i don't believe you and so if you like there was this strange battle going on the actors wanted to put in good performances but then you've got the director and the advisor who were there in vietnam wanting to make something that wouldn't be laughed at by other veterans that veterans would watch it and go i'm there i get it you know this is what it was like in the suck in country you know whatever you want to call it because it was called lots of different things by the by the combat soldiers in, in vietnam they're just trying to make it as real as possible and some of the cast get genuinely dangerously ill uh, during this boot camp and eventually it sort of culminates in them getting to sort of like really come together and the real genius of when they start filming now don't forget everything i've just said they haven't even started shooting yet but when they start filming what oliver stone decided to do and this is real genius is it was all filmed in sequence so what did that mean that meant that when once filming began they were allowed to not just live in a tent but actually stay in a hotel thank you very much oliver you could argue that the first two weeks not only was highly innovative and made things so real but also was very cheap as well because basically a bunch of guys just sort of like mucking around in the jungle uh, in essence which costs no money whatsoever but it it absolutely worked and but because they were then in a hotel they tell these wonderful stories about how you know, obviously they're actors they're creative people some of them were musicians they end up creating their own little platoon band if you like and you know there's sort of singing and playing guitar and you know drums etc and so you know these people some of them becoming big hollywood names are just entertaining everybody in the hotel as they sort of like jam and stuff like that and you know they kind of behave like a bunch of soldiers who've been let out of the front lines for 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 a night you know it, it seemed very i'm gonna say macho but you know young men are gonna be young men aren't they you know they're not actually in a war zone they're actually actors trying to have a bit of fun at the same time but the really touching thing is of course every time somebody dies in the movie you're not needed for filming anymore thanks very much goodbye and within 24 hours you're on a plane back out of the philippines so it meant that this really close-knit group as shooting went on there were fewer and fewer and fewer of them and they started missing each other now you know they were saying quite clearly it's like obviously this is not the same thing as losing a good friend in a war but for the sake of making this things real it's like wow you know what's happened to x or what's happened to y so that's you know it, it's really impressive anyway wanted to sort of like culminate the the making of bit at least with the village scene which is easily one of the most powerful scenes perhaps ever committed to film and it's a scene where the american platoon goes into a small vietnamese village and they're looking for any kind of clues that the local villagers are working with the Viet Cong. and so this was a term used originally in vietnam as a search and destroy operation it then later be got to be called a sweep and clear operation so it didn't sound quite so bad but it, but cha didn't change anything 
and it's a hard watch. Even though you know this is a bunch of actors, it's a hard watch because you know, although they are acting, they are actually recreating many little crime scenes created by American soldiers during the Vietnam War. And I remember sitting there watching it with my eldest son, and at that point he goes, this is not an army, this is a rabble. And he just sort of said it in disgust, basically. And it's like, yeah, that, that's, that was the problem of the US Army in Vietnam. Absolutely. You're a bunch of scared teenagers and they just don't know what to do. And what's made even worse, though, and they make quite clear about this in the documentary, is that these Filipino, they're not Vietnamese, these Filipino villagers were villagers. They weren't a bunch of, you know, let's ship in the actors from Manila, shall we? Just didn't have a budget for that. They agreed with local elders that they would film in the village and set off pyrotechnics and so on, so on and so forth. It was all agreed. Everybody was consensual. But there is this heartbreaking scene where Tom Berenger looks like he might shoot a little girl to get information from the village elder. And this little girl is just crying, and she's probably six or seven years old. And it's a very convincing look of complete fear on her face. And apparently the way Oliver Stone got that sense of fear is he was just really shouty and nasty and belligerent. Not physical, never physical, but like just nasty to this little girl, which upset her. And then when he got people waving guns around, there wasn't any acting. And a lot of the actors said, you know, no. Yeah, this is a seven-year-old girl. We've cr crossed a line here. This, this, this ain't cool, man. But at the same time, that's exactly the feeling of some of the men in the actual, you know, scene as well. And there's another scene where basically Bunny and Chris, who's the narrator of the whole thing, Charlie Sheen, they basically start intimidating this guy who seems to have mental problems. And apparently that guy, genuine villager, had cataracts, didn't quite understand things. And with Bunny, the actor playing Bunny, he starts beating the man with his shotgun butt, the butt of his shotgun. And he was really upset about this. And obviously he was landing the blows near the guy's head, just into the ground, so the camera, you know, so it looked like he was beating him up. But he slipped on one occasion and hit the guy in the head. And this just broke up the actor. It was a hard shoot for everybody. But what they got was real authenticity. And what's quite telling is while Oliver Stone clearly didn't mean any harm to any of these people, he was trying to make it as real as possible. And when they finished shooting it, Oliver Stone just walked away. He just walked to the other end of the village and apparently sort of like sat on the edge of a paddy field and he was just back in the war. And Dale Dye walked over and, and sort of sat next to him. Both of them just lost in their memories because clearly both of them had been in that situation and they were trying to show the real situation on film. So therefore making it an incredibly important moment in the movie. So I think I've done enough about this, but the other weird thing is that Charlie Sheen makes the very valid point that he is the main star of the movie and the whole thing's told from his perspective and he is a narrator. But he remembers being a kid of like eight or nine, being with his dad, Martin Sheen on the set of Apocalypse Now watching you know a Vietnam film being made so it's kind of like what are the chances of like you know father and son doing the same genre movie in the same way with the same narration it's just all like amazing that you know Charlie Sheen was basically on two of the craziest maybe this tells you something about how he grew up because he was on the set of two of the craziest movies of all time 
And so you know, the film is finally put in the can. Like I say, so many more stories. Thoroughly recommend you watch it. And then they start showing. They, they actually show the first cut of it. to Everybody's back together. Hey, guys, do you want to see all your hard work put on the screen? And everybody thought it was awful. Not that it was badly made. But, you know, there, there were guys saying, oh, I realized that I had my finger near the trigger, which a soldier wouldn't do. I look like a complete amateur. I don't look like a, a veteran soldier. And the, uh, the, the other thing I want to say, sorry, just going back to the making of, once finally the boot camp was done, basically uh, Oliver Stone says, well done, everybody. You know, we've got you this kind of local moonshine. Let's just have a great party. We'll go back to the hotel tomorrow. You've all done a brilliant job. And so everybody got absolutely blind drunk and, you know, just had a great night. It was a feeling of real euphoria. And it's like, yeah, we get to start filming the movie in a day's time or whatever. And then the next morning at 5 a.m., you get Stone and you get Dale, the die, waking them up and basically saying, right, we're, we're filming the first scene. And so that first scene as they are schlepping through the jungle and they all look exhausted and they kind of, some of them are sort of half throwing up. And they just clearly don't want to be there. But, you know, they're just getting on with it. They're being professionals or whatever. There was no acting whatsoever. That's just a bunch of hungover young men who'd been lied to by the director. But again, you get complete authenticity. So, yes, back to the first screening. Everybody noticed their own mistakes. You know, perhaps they hadn't secured their hand grenades the right way, the, the prop hand grenades, etc. So they're just looking at all the technical mistakes, thinking Dale Dye's going to be angry with them. But then they all realize as a whole, after watching it all in one go, it's like, good Lord, this is one of the most intense films ever. And they were kind of right. So they were all absolutely sure that this film would be released to, like, a few art house cinemas, and it would come out and it would be pretty much instantly forgotten. And obviously some of these people have done better in their careers than others. You get the wonderful Keith David. Now, you it's one of these people where once you hear his voice or once you see his face, you know he's been in a whole load of different things. He's the voice of the black president in Rick and Morty, for example. But he's also does that fight in Them, the horror movie from the 1980s. Oh, he's in kind of in everything. And then you get John C. McGinley, who plays that sort of like really sassy doctor in Scrubs. And he plays the sort of like the head of the police union in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And he's he just is a real great character actor. And he's just a load of fun in this documentary. He's just so deprecating. And then it's like, okay, right. Well, the film's finally finished. And then he goes, so when's it coming out? And they went, Christmas. And oh my God, who is going to see Platoon at Christmas time? It's just, you've got to agree with John on that one. If there's one thing Platoon does not say to you, it's Merry Christmas. <laughs> A bunch of them went to their local movie theater when Platoon opened to see what was going to happen. And then they saw that there was a queue almost the way round the block. And at that point, they realized this thing's clearly scratching an itch. And then you get wonderful stories. Keith David tells this wonderful story about how he was just walking down the street. And this complete stranger, this, this man just ran out of nowhere, just tapped him on the shoulder and said, basically, I served in the, I'm going to make up a number. I served in the 312th in, in Vietnam. I know you. I know you, man. Thank you. And then just sort of like ran off again. And all of them have kind of like stories about that. About how simply because these men came back 
and everybody screamed and shouted at them. And they were only doing what they were had to do in conscription. You know, it was either that or go to prison. And, you know, some people thought it might be worth trying to defend America from this theory of, like, you know, expansive communism, etc. Uh, and it's, like, interesting that they're being treated worse by their own people than by the Vietnamese in some cases. And, like, I'm not going to listen to you or talk to you. I will never, you know, to work with somebody who's a Vietnam veteran or something like that. They were discriminated against. And so they buried it. They hid it. And, you know, they were having to deal with their own traumas, but also they had to kind of pretend what they were doing for the last couple of years and say, oh, yeah, yeah, those terrible guys in Vietnam. And it was like a dirty little secret. And what Platoon started to do in America is allow people to heal, to talk about it, to go, okay, this is what actually happened. And so Platoon, you know, the 1980s has this glut of, of Vietnam films, but Platoon was kind of the, the main one that kickstarted it. We get Full Metal Jacket, we get Hamburger Hill, for example, and indeed, you get Oliver Stone creating a trilogy of Vietnam films. Obviously, starting off with Platoon, you then get Born on the Fourth of July, and then you get Heaven and Earth. Two of those won him Best Director, which is an amazing statement. So, yeah, that just shows you how well-crafted they were. Yes, Oliver Stone put people through a lot of pain and anxiety during the making of all three of those films, but ultimately, at least for two of them, it was worth it because he created cinematic classics. You know, you have to struggle for art. You know, art is pain, all that kind of stuff. And so what's interesting is it comes out in 1986, which means it's eligible for the 1987 Oscars, and it wins four of them. They get some technical awards as well, but it does win Best Director, and it does win Best Picture. And so that's an amazing statement. You know, so if you like the full come round, if you like, for Vietnam, it's no longer a dirty word, a shameful secret about America. It's now something that they're willing to talk about. But the thing is, though, and this is one of these sort of strange cases, because there were so many different actors in it, you get two of them nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Willem Dafoe and Tom Berenger. Very appropriate because these were the yin and yang, the good and bad, the angel and demon on Chris's shoulders. If, if you like, it was influenced more by Faust than anything else. And so because... Presumably both, they split the vote. You know, Platoon was not going to win Best Supporting Actor. So who does? Michael Caine for Hannah and Her Sisters. So there we go. There's a, there's a full return round to the wonderful world of Michael Caine. So there we go. You can see how Platoon changed cinema, made a bit of cinematic history by winning four Oscars and sort of solidifying the reputation of someone like Oliver Stone. But also it is a very accurate reflection of what was going on in Vietnam. So in a hundred years time, if people want to know what it was like to be frontline infantry in a platoon in the jungles of Vietnam, just watch that. And now you know, for better or worse. And for that, I think we have to thank the efforts of everybody involved in that movie. That's it from me. And as always, another episode coming soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.